Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time that we have together in your house. And I pray, Lord, as we open your word, you'll help us to see the truth that's found there. Um, too often we have distractions and things that push aside what's right in front of our faces. And I pray, Lord, that today we can be honest with what's going on inside of us now and in the past, and that we would see that you are the hope and the answer for us to find true wisdom. It's in you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so typically I read through uh, what we're discussing, and then we just kind of go over it. But today we're going to break it down a little different. So if you look at... Uh, give me a second... Proverbs 1, verse 8. Hey, thanks. Maybe it'll work later. Uh, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And so we get a couple of pictures here that we need to break down before we jump into this next section, which is really a parable of, it's a story of when someone um, starts pursuing or gets enticed or drawn into some bad, uh, bad behavior and leads to destruction. And so the first couple things that we highlight in verses 8 to 10, that there's clearly a, an admonition for parents to teach their children. And that teaching should be worn like a prize jewel, a necklace, a pendant, something that's an heirloom piece passed down, that we as parents, those of us parents in the room, um, should be passing down wisdom and knowledge to our kids. And if you are a child or were a child, which should be everyone here because that's how biology works, um, then parents should have passed down to you wisdom and knowledge and continuing on in the ways in which to live. Um, this is everything that parents' job is supposed to be for 18 years of life, and then you need to get out of my house. That's just how it's supposed to work, is that you are going to be encouraged and trained and taught and then at adulthood, and I'm not, you can be in college and live with your parents, but at some point you need to get out of and away from the parents being over the top of you and you should go on your own. But that's, that's actually the biblical definition of being an adult is when you're no longer beholden to your parents for help, support, housing, financial gain, any of those things, that's when you get to cleave and go be your own person. So it's always funny when I'll have someone that's like maybe 20, and they would come to me and complain about their parents wanting to put rules on them and all this stuff. And I go, well, all you have to do is move out of the house and get a job and have, don't be on their insurance and just be on your own, and then you can do whatever you want. That's, but until that happens, your parents get to have influence in your life. So deal with it. Like, go talk to your parents. Like, you can't say, I want to be an independent adult, but then they're paying for everything. That's the exact opposite of independence. So figure that out. Um, but we're supposed to, as parents, keep pouring into our children. We're supposed to raise them in a way. And then Solomon is calling on his son, if sinners entice you, don't consent. But the foundational truth should be there, given from parents to children. That's the beginning. That we as parents don't farm out the education of every part of our child's lives just to whoever's out there. That yeah, we send our kids to school, and they have teachers, and they have influences, but it's our responsibility to guide through all of those things. That we're, It's our job. It's the weight is on us. So that when they go off into the world, they have a foundation. When I taught high school and used to work with youth kids, I used to tell parents when I was a 
you know, super wise and smart 26-year-old, as they would come to me with their, the issues they're dealing with their teen kids, and I was teaching them and saw them at school, or they were part of the youth group, and I imparted all of my wisdom as a 26, 27-year-old upon these parents. And I said, you know, you've instructed them well, you've taught them well, but by the age of about 15, your influence is pretty much done. And now you have to be, start to turn them into the world and let them make their own mistakes. And well, now I have a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old, and I hate the advice that I gave parents <laughs> 20 years ago. That was really dumb of me um, because there's a whole lot of pressure and it's, it's, it's these slow moves as a parent of letting your kids go a little bit at a time with the hope that they enter into adulthood, into life with that foundation. But if you don't put that foundation, if you don't see the time that you have with them as important and valuable and you push away other things and other distractions for this season that you have with your kids, then you could be setting them up to be enticed by all of these other people. Um, last night was a first for Amber and I. We had two kids going off to homecoming as high school students, and I was a bit terrified. Um, not in them or in if they're going to go to some crazy party, because I control all of that, but <laughs> I know what I was like as a 17-year-old with a driver's license. I know what I was like at those moments. I know what the expectations were of after the big formal dance and what's going to happen, and now I have a little girl. Well, she's not so little anymore, and I don't like that. But at some point, you have to go, well, my son's driving. He's, an, he's 17. He's a year away from being an adult. He's so close to all these things changing in his life, and so I have to trust that I have instilled in them wisdom and knowledge and when they slip up or things go sideways and I'm there to show grace and maybe some correction and guide them but if I have abdicated all of that responsibility and have just said you know I'll just let I'll yet let the youth leader do it I'll let the school do it I'll let their friends do it then I have allowed other influences outside of influences of God that I'm trying to put into them rule their hearts now will I ever stop praying for them? Of course not. I feel like I'm praying more for them than I ever have before. There were seasons when they were little, I'm praying for growth, praying for, and now it's a whole lot of prayers of protection and wisdom, and man, I hope they've paid attention to what we've taught them. I hope they've paid attention to how the Spirit is speaking to them, and then I sit back and wait for the shoe to drop, and I pray it never does. But Solomon sets up to his son, do not reject the wisdom that has been imparted to you. I didn't have a lot of wisdom imparted to me in those realms of spiritual or even moral life as a teenager, and I pray that I've done that to my kids. But at some point, they have to start making those decisions and making those moves away from all of these people who are going to entice them. So even, it's a warning. Practice what your parents have taught you. Be careful. Trust. Don't be enticed. And then he gives us a parable of some morons. Well, I think I say idiot in the slide. Go ahead for me, Kent. From verse 11 to verse 19, he gives us a parable. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let Sheol. Let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. He's talking about hell. 
We shall find all precious goods, and we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So we see this parable of some guys coming along to Solomon's son. He's telling them it's a cautionary tale. And they're saying, come with us. Let us lie and wait for blood. Let's go steal some things. Let's go, let's go rob some people. Let's put people in pain so we can take their goods and we'll share it all. We'll split the, we'll split the proceeds. There's a real fear right now in Florida of this happening, right? With looting and islands being isolated. There's a real fear in that. Um, that when something tragic happens, there's always some people out there that are willing to prey upon the weak, prey upon the innocent for their own gain. That's the enticement that these sinners are trying to have on Solomon's son. Just come with us. We're going to be rich. There's some weak people out there. Because they're so weak, they don't deserve to have what they have. We might have to kill them, but let's go after it. The strong survive. Every so often there's one of these polls that come across, and maybe it's because of things that I look at on the internet, but it's always like, what would happen in an apocalypse? Maybe I'm like post-apocalyptic stories too much. I don't know why. Um, and there's always like, are you going to be the prepared? Are you going to be the defender? And then there's a person and there's the marauder. Are you going to be the one that just preys upon the innocent? And there's so many post-apocalyptic movies and TV shows that there's a fear of that. There are people out there that are so twisted and dark that they would take out the innocent just for the stuff. And that's who these guys are that are being warned against. That there are men out there that are going to entice you to come along. They're weak. They don't deserve it. Let's just go take their stuff. Let's go rob them. And let's grab a hold of it. So think of the layers of the evil in this. I'm going to just go for ill-gotten gain. I care about possession more than I care about other people's lives. I'm willing to kill. I'm willing to even go to the pits of hell just to have a good time now. It's a pretty dramatic story. It even has in it, um, these fools are like birds who would get caught in a trap. I don't know if you ever tried to trap birds before. It's not an easy thing. Mice are much easier to trap because they're dumb. They just put their mouth on the peanut butter in the mouse trap, and then they get their head snapped. Birds are not that dumb. Put a bird trap out. Try. They're light. It's hard to get them. You have to, it's very tough. And so he puts in there even a little, po- a little poke. But these men, uh, for in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. That birds can easily get past traps. That this, you should have the wisdom to see what's coming. When someone says, hey, I've got a, a real easy deal for you. It's only going to be a $5 investment. Come along and you'll make you a millionaire. The first thing you should say is, mm, really? Are there potential out there? Yes. Do I wish I would have bought some Apple stock in about 1980? Yes. But there was no one out there saying that. Hey, this potentially could go everywhere. Um, people, I, I remember trying to purchase a laptop as a senior in high school, and the guy at the computer shop told me there was no reason to look at a Windows computer because that's just a fad. You need to just have a WordPerfect computer. He was slightly off. (laughs) This is more about the trap of, hey, it's no big deal. 
we can pull this off. No one's going to care. The Lord doesn't mind. He's, he's made them weak anyway, so we can pray upon them. It's just a little bit of blood. Let's, let's do this. And so the call through this story is that anybody that starts enticing you towards things that are unjust, that are unrighteous, they're going to pull you far from God. You have to flee from it. You have to run from it. You have to keep it as far away from you as possible. People are getting scammed all the time. I had one yesterday. Uh, my niece has an Instagram account, and I get this message saying, Hey, I'm going to say, could you... My, my account's been locked out, and there was some profanity in it. My niece is never going to curse at me in an Instagram post. My niece hardly ever... She has like two friends, and I'm one of them. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'm locked out, and I need to get my stuff back. Uh, if I send you the password, could I? No. So I call my um, sister-in-law and say, hey, I think Maggie's account's been hacked. Yeah, it's been going, okay, well, I'm going to mess with them for a little bit because now it's fun. <laughs> and I just go, I would love to give you that password, but I'm going to need you to uh, Venmo me some cash. And then it turned into, well, what's your Venmo number? Because I know where this is going. Like, you think I'm an idiot going to give them my, my password. And I go, well, you're my niece. You should know it. You did it last. I just played for, I just had time. And I was bored. And so I played. But there are so many people that get sucked into that stuff. A random person from a royal family in a third world country contacts you about millions of dollars left in a bank account and only you can get it out for them. If you would just send them $6,000, you can have $6 million. And people get sucked into these things. Because they're not applying the common wisdom of, that's probably not how this works. Most of the world works where you put in some hard work and some honest work, and then you will be rewarded because of that hard work and that honesty. And people get sucked in. And now it's become even tenfold, I feel, because we have even the social media presence of people just trying to be famous. Used to be a few select group of people are famous, and now everybody's famous. And we see this play out in a multitude of ways where people get enticed, they get tricked, they get messed with, um, they don't have a clue as to what they're doing or what they're going for, and everybody wants the quick fix instead of the long run of discipline. Maybe this will work. Here we go. That's why I showed this slide. It's a joke. About the Lose weight, the easy way. If you look at the bottom, it says, now live with tapeworm eggs. <laughs> Fast way to lose weight, just get some tapeworms. Um, but what's sad is that there was a time in our American history where we actually did sell tapeworms to people. And you would, it was a get rich, it was a diet pill, it was on the back of magazines, and you would order it, and it would come to you, and you would swallow it, and then you were supposed to then call them when you've reached your your ideal weight and you would call them and they would send you the stop losing weight pills and it was the antibiotic to kill the tapeworms but people lied about their beginning and their end weights and they didn't get the right antibiotics and they died because they had tapeworms and so there's a whole i remember my colleague i taught high school with had a giant tapeworm in the jar and he had the ads and the articles this is just a spoof but there are people out there that are just looking for the quick and easy Something that's going to help them win, something that's going to help them gain prosperity, and it can lead to disaster. And so Solomon is warning his son, do not be enticed by these sinners. Do not be enticed by these quick, rich, 
get-rich-quick schemes that are not going to lead to anything of gain. Hey, Kent, can you go back one for me? Sometimes it leads to things like this. There's now a, a Wikipedia term, it's an urban dictionary, where we've taken the term tourist and moron and put them together, and they're now tourons. <laughs> These are from, this one's from Yellowstone. Um, go back one more. Those of you who've been around Yellowstone, all groaned, because you know how quickly her flesh is about to be boiled off of her bones. Now, why would you do this? For a selfie? Like, that's not even getting close to get a picture of something cool, or it's like, I want to I look good, and we're, even, we're inundated with this stuff even more so because of this huge desire for personal views. So our current enticement seems to be a lot of that. Now, most of us, I think, if we're going to read this parable and look at these silly people we've grown at, we can say... You know, I've never been all that enticed to join a gang to go kill people and steal their money. So I'm all good. But how many times have we been, been enticed by other things? Well, there's a long yearning for connection. And that leads us to do all kinds of things we would never do, but we're lonely. Or we don't fit in, or we're not a part of the crew, or we feel rejected. And that would lead us down all kinds of dark roads. That was this Christy sharing part of her story. Part of my story was my parents divorced when I was in middle school, and we bounced from a small community, community, rural community in southern Indiana to Arizona, where I had 150 middle school classmates in seventh and eighth grade, and I landed in a school that had 2,500 seventh and eighth graders. Massive military town. I was completely out of place, completely rejected, felt alone, connected to no one. And then I was just in this place of, I, I don't have any friends, this is weird, I'm going through the trauma of my parents divorcing, moving across the country, no family, and then I get a, a light bulb moment of my mom decides to move me and my brother back to Indiana, so now I land in this other school, I've been in three schools in 18 months, and I just wanted to fit in. And I would do anything. Taking a selfie at Yellowstone is minor in comparison to things that I was willing to do to have some friends. Easily enticed. No foundation. No spiritual foundation at all. Nobody speaking wisdom into my life. My parents were in their own areas of trauma and distance, and so I was kind of on my own. A terrifying prospect. We've all been in places like that. We get sucked into a conversation we probably really shouldn't have. Maybe we go down the rabbit hole of politics and current events and all of a sudden we're super bitter and negative and we don't even ooze the light and the hope of Christ because we're just so wrapped up by a media machine that's just trying to keep you clicking like how quick are we enticed by sin and sucked into these things and conversations and relationships and we judge people we're just easily brought into a place that's just full of sin when I had good instruction to avoid that stuff. But I get sucked in too. Why do you care so much? Why do you care what's happening over there? And that? Why do you care so much? Does that have any impact on you in your daily life? No. 
And why are you spending so much time enticed by all of that? You think about the course of your 24-hour day. If you get eight hours of sleep, which yeah, I'm about a six-and-a-half to seven-hour guy, if I take eight hours out, that leaves me with how many? 16. If I work, that should be about eight hours. That leaves me with eight hours to be with my family, enjoy a hobby, relax, and spend time with God. And if I carve out three or four of those hours to just fill my head full of things that are not redeeming, things that aren't helpful, things that aren't encouraging, then I'm allowing a very small part of my day to be filled with stuff that has no good fruit in my life. We used to say the television. The average television watching was about four hours a day. So if you only had eight hours and you spend four of it watching television, then you only got four hours a day to actually communicate and be in a relationship with other people. That's scary. And now you throw the internet in, the average person spending seven hours. Now, I don't know the debate of like at work or what, or how much time you're actually working at work and watching Netflix instead or surfing whatever. And um, You see a company get people angry real fast when they put in something on the server side that blocks Facebook. People go crazy. What? I can't check in on my friends. And it's Facebook. What are you doing? Or what, whatever, TikTok, Gagram, something, chat, whatever you're doing now. That's a lot of time that's devoted to things that don't fill your brain with good. So Solomon continues. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. He gives us an answer. So this is the kind of the, the juxtaposition between these two thoughts. Your parents should impart in you the jewels of wisdom. He then gives him a parable that says, when you reject those pearls of wisdom, you're enticed by outside sin, bad things are going to happen. But then he gives us hope. And the hope is in the form of Lady Wisdom. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. That there's the constant call of God. And don't get, this is an aside, um, don't get wrapped up in the personification of, of wisdom being a woman and go, but you said God and Jesus and I don't know, and are you trying to get all woke on me? No, I'm not. Hebrew language is much like Spanish, where there are feminine and masculine words, and so the word for wisdom in Hebrew is a feminine word, and so Solomon is carrying that on. One commentator said that this is also, I don't, I don't buy into this, but I like it. Um, one scholar said that Solomon, writing to his son, wants his son to pursue wisdom like a young man would pursue a beautiful woman. So he uses lady wisdom as that you should pursue lady wisdom like you're checking out the girls. I don't know that that's really what's going on here, but it's a fun story. I just think he's carrying on the Hebrew word for wisdom into its um, personification as a woman. So the idea is wisdom... The wisdom of God is crying out to you. Don't do this. Don't do this. You know better. Don't go down these roads. Be wise about what you're doing. How long, those simple ones, will you love being simple? Remember, we said that there's the wisdom, there's the fool, and there's the simple. All throughout Proverbs. And all throughout Proverbs, you're given a choice. Are you going to choose God, the path of wisdom, the path that leads to God, or are you going to choose the path of a fool which leads you away from God, which eventually leads you to destruction? So Lady Wisdom, the image of God, is crying out to all of us. Don't do that. Like a good, like a good dad, a good mom who wants the best for their kids, and at a certain age, like maybe 17, 
Not that I have one of those. You have to say, like, son, you got to make some decisions. Please make them, because I see what's happening. You make some bad decisions, then these things are going to come your way. Like, I don't worry about Eli a whole lot, but I have had to talk to him and say, listen, son, you go hang out with your friends. They're people I don't know, but you got to be careful. Because I don't know the exact rules of Laramie High School. I'm not really, I should probably look at this so I can have a truth to this. Where I grew up, if you were an athlete and you were at a party and the party gets busted, it doesn't matter whether you're drinking or not, you lost your season, at least a third of it. I don't know if that's accurate here or not. I probably need to look at that. So I've told Eli that that's true because it's just, it's good for him to think that. <laughs> you want to play basketball. You want to do these things. Even if you're hanging out with these people and you're not partaking, you're having a good time, you're the designated driver, whatever you want to call it. You get busted, you're ruined. Is that a wise decision that you want to carry on the rest of your life? Like you missed your junior year, which then causes impact on your senior year. I know you're not going to play in the NBA, but it's part of who you are. Do you want to, you want to mess all this up because you're hanging out with some dudes in the backyard? Or for Savannah, I've had to have a different conversation with her that I never thought I'd have to have, but I do. Savannah, if you ever go to a party, you're going to these places, you, I don't want you consuming alcohol because you're underage. But I also am not in that space. So don't you ever take a drink from someone who's handing you a red Solo cup that you don't know what's in it. Because you don't know what potential problems could come your way and what evil is lurking out there. Don't you ever take a drink from someone that you haven't poured yourself or cracked open the, the, the seal. Okay, Dad. Okay. I'm just trying to cry out from the rooftops like, look, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I can't guard you all the time, but I want to impart in you the truth. And when you hear the, let's listen to the wisdom of God, please. And we see simple ones. How, how, how are you, when are you going to stop this? Do you love being just mediocre? Just love being the simpleton? You have to take responsibility for yourself. You have to take responsibility and grow closer to God. The scoffers are going to delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. This is God saying, I'm crying out to you, follow me. But if you do reject me, if you do push away, there's grace. There's always grace. Come back. Listen. Come back. The cry is for hope in wisdom of God. You won't be rejected if you would repent. He doesn't use that word here. But you'll change your ways. Come back. You're never too far gone. Continues. I'll make my words known to you. Because I have called you and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has, and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. But there's a point in our rejection of God and someone staying so simple and doesn't want to grow or the fool rejecting God, there comes a point where God is going to say, you can have it your way, just like Burger King. You can have it your way. This is reminiscent of what we see Paul write in Romans chapter 1 where he gives this whole list to the church in Rome. 
And he says in verse 24, after all these things about turning away, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Then he continues through all these things, attributes, they have no excuse, what's happening. In verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. When we in the church often think about judgment, we think about heaven and hell. Eternal judgment. Which is something we should think about. We should help people avoid that. Jesus is the way to avoid that kind of eternal judgment. But we also see Paul tell us, and we also see this promise from Solomon, that at some point, God is going to let you have it your way. If you consistently reject, his wrath is that he lets us have our own way. On earth. And into eternity. You think you've got it all figured out? You think you don't need God? You think you don't need to pray to the creator of the universe? You think you don't need his love for your grace and your mercy? And okay, you can have it your way. And as you consistently build a life of rejecting the call of the Spirit, rejecting the truth of God, He will let you have your way all the way to an eternity of suffering. He doesn't reach out and smack you in the side of the head and just put salvation in your head and you're like, oh, yes, Jesus. If you want to consistently reject Him and push the call of the Spirit away, He will let you have it. And it's going to be terrible for you. To the point where he will mock when terror strikes. That you're, this is essentially Solomon saying that God will pull himself away and your nightmares will come true. These are the kinds of passages that, that scare me and motivate me at the same time. I don't want God to be against me. That's terrifying. But then also to know that there are people that are consistently going to reject God and push away and push away, and all their nightmares will come true for eternity. I, I really wish, if I was honest as a, as a pastor, um, I really wish that universalism was true. I really wish it was true. That everybody would have life eternal with God the Father, even if they hate Him here on earth. But that's not true. It's not how God loves his people. He will not force the ones who reject him to live with the ones who love him. That would be an eternal child abuse. To take the people that hate God, that want nothing to do with him, and say, hey, go play with my kids. That's not what he does. He gives you what you desire. He gives what you want when it comes to eternity. If you want nothing to do with him, he'll let you have it. And so this motivates me. Like There are people in my life, people that I know in this community that are far from God, and if they don't get to know him, they're going to suffer forever. And that, that makes me really sad, and it scares me for some of my friends. And Solomon is saying that these roads are from rejecting the wisdom of God that's calling out to us. He's calling out to us. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. If you read through Revelation, 
There's that moment where it's all, well, not moment, it's the whole book, where it's over and over again, signs are coming, signs are coming, signs are coming. It's one of the points of the book of Revelation is the end comes. You would think that when the mountains are crumbling and things are falling on people's heads, people would go, oh, I should probably make things right with God. And what you see in the book of Revelation is that people consistently over and over and over, and it's just even with the world blowing up around them, they're still rejecting God. Giving us the truth that people that are going to push away from God that strongly are not going to come to that truth. So he tells us there's going to come a moment because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord would have none of my counsel and despise all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Connecting this to Romans 1, and then I think I don't think it's a stretch that we can see that this is connecting all the way back to the garden. They get the fruit that they want. Rejecting God leads to an eternity in judgment. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without deed, sorry, dread, there's a wave there, dread of disaster. The anybody that turns from those ways, anybody that's seeking to not just be simple, that's not seeking to be you know, outside of the truth of God, if you would just say yes, then grace is for you. You have nothing to fear from God. If you're a child of God, saved by grace, and you happen so that the Bible would call you a saint, who then commits sin, it doesn't remove your sainthood. It means you're a saint who happens to be sinning. And that's where we live as Christians. Lovers of God, embracers of grace, loved so much that God would go to the cross for us as Jesus the Son, that he's never going to pull his hand from us. And so when we slip up and we slide sideways, I almost sound like backsliding, that's a whole other thing. We step out of the path he has for us. He's patiently there to call us back to himself. And for those who have never known God, kind of on the fringes, think things about God, not sure about God, I don't know about this stuff, I've got some issues. I, people that are raging against God, if they would just heed the call of wisdom, the call of reason and logic, the call of faith, the Spirit would pour to them, and they'd be saved in an instant. It's not hopeless. Solomon isn't giving us a hopeless picture of wisdom. He's giving us this real, gut-level, honest cry to his son. Boy, don't let these things influence you. Seek God. Seek Him more than anything else. And everything else will make sense. It might not go your way, but you'll be able to put some sense around it, some wisdom around what's happening. It doesn't mean the cancer is going to go away. It doesn't mean the job's going to become perfect. But if you seek God, He will get you through it all. I don't know um, where you guys land when this kind of stuff with eternities on the balance and seeking wisdom. And it sounds like it's just a bunch of words from a son, from a father to a son. Um, but I, I'm overwhelmed by the love of God a lot in my life. 
the day-to-day and the big stuff. The friends that he puts in my life to help point me to the truth of relationship, what real relationship looks like, when in the past it was all subject to performance. Real people that are not going to just throw you away when you say something stupid. Instead, they're going to go, did you, did you really mean that? Well, I don't know, I was having a bad day. Okay, well, I know you, I trust you, but that was crazy what you said. You're right, you're right. That aren't just going to toss you aside because you're struggling, you're wrestling, you're, they're going to be with you. I've not found that relationship in the ones who are just on the fringe, the ones that are mocking God. It's very much you either believe my way or you got to, there's the highway. I don't know if that's even really right, but you either believe my way or we're not going to be friends. We get, you're part of the club or you're not. I've only found the freedom to think the things that I think and to feel the things that I feel in good community with people of God. That you can have tough conversations and you don't understand things and you can work through it and we show each other grace. I've not found that outside of faith communities. Instead, I found gossip and rejection and judgment. And, um, but in the people that are closest to me, that, that love me and want to take care of me and they check on me, it's, it's been a real thing of beauty. Solomon is calling his son to strive for those relationships and not the ones that are quick fix, fly by, the, or, you know, fly by night, easy things to do. They're going to lead you to roads of destruction. But instead, the long haul with people that are going to be honest with you and love you are the ones you need to pursue. Wisdom comes from Jesus and him alone. You can read all the stuff you want to read. I like to read. I like to dabble in conspiracy theories often. It makes me laugh inside. Like, oh, maybe that's, oh, that, you know, there's a trilateral commit. There's other things out there. But at the end of the day, I trust God. That no matter what is out there, no matter what's coming our way, no matter what I think about the world, and like, you can't help but turn on the TV and not go, oh, wow, really? I mean, in the last 20 years, I've heard we're on the verge of World War III at least 30 times. To the point where I'm like, can we just get it over with so we can stop talking about it? I don't really want that. I don't really want that. <laughs> And if I have a steady diet of that, then it makes my heart less inclined to the, to the hope of Christ, and I become inundated with negativity. Then how am I going to help other people find hope when I don't have the hope myself? So this week, do an inventory. What are some practices in your life that need to change or need to be added or needed to be cleaved away? Do you spend four hours a day watching cable news? That's not good for anyone, even if you're teaching in the social sciences. Not good for you. Do you spend an inordinate amount of time just binging Law and order. It seems like it's on every time I turn on the TV, it's always on. Do you spend way too much time gossiping about the people that you work with or the people that are around you instead of working on those relationships so you don't have to gossip about them? Instead, go talk to them. 
How much time do you spend distracted by your phone and keeps you away from the Word of God? Keeps you away from prayer. Isaac challenged us to think about the course of your day. How many of you have a journal? We don't dare call them diaries anymore because those are all pink and fluffy. But how many of you have a journal, something you keep a log, you keep a list, you have a note on your phone? And you can do a little self-evaluation. Do you need to get into a Bible study, get into a community? Do you feel alone? Are you just feeling lonely? I'm not saying I'll be your friend because I'm very selective. But... (laughs) We have a community of people here that does a lot of things and would welcome people in. If you have a community, are you willing to let some people in? Or do you like to keep your cell real close? We need to expand that. What is the barrier between you and growing closer in your trust of God? What is in the way? We're here to help blow that up or add some disciplines to your life to help. You can call on me, one of our elders, you can the staff. There's people all around here. I'm just looking in the room. Of, I know people that are consistent prayer warriors. I know people that love to study the Word of God. I know people that are currently discipling people and people being discipled. I don't want to call you all out in this, but that'd be kind of fun one Sunday. There's a lot of people here that want to help you grow closer to God. Whether you're new to church and to faith, or you've been walking with Him for 30 years. There's always more of him to know. And that's the goal of who we are as a church, to know God more. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see what's going on in our own hearts and our own minds that would be a barrier to knowing you. And it can be things that are really good that we need to trim away or some things that are really bad that we need to cut out fast. Help us, Lord, to seek you. Help us not to be easily enticed by influences from the outside like you've warned your son here that we would i don't really believe anyone in here is going to join a gang and start robbing houses but what could be going on is that we are pursuing things that aren't of you and they're dragging us down they're causing us to be taken out of the the fight of evangelism because we're struggling with so many things that are pulling at us help us to cut those strings Help us to um, be connected to you in a, in, an, in a deep and abiding way and help us to grow. Grow in love of you so that we can love others well. In Jesus' name, amen.